0: Hi everyone, welcome to Potluck. Uh, Today we have a special guest, Cristina castellanos Stephens. She's among many other things. She has a chocolate store. She's also my mentor in the food tour guide business. And today we're going to talk about chocolate. Hi, Cristina.
1: Hello, how are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. I actually just ate a a piece of brownie.
0: (laughs) Just to get in the mood, in the chocolate mood. So what what you do at, at Lurka is, uh, belongs to this so-called bean-to-bar movement. Can, can you tell us a little bit uh, about this and what it is?
1: Yeah, so uh, Lurka is a chocolate shop. Um, so lur means earth and ka, earth in Basque language because we're in the Basque country. And ka comes from cacao. So what we do is, because uh, me and my partner were both born in Mexico, we bring cocoa beans from Mexico, we roast them here, grind them, and make them into chocolate, and combine Mexican and bath flavors. Um, And it is bean-to-bar chocolate, which means we, we do the whole process from the bean to the bar. And basically what we've done is opened a small shop that is where the machines are separated by a glass window, so people can see the process, because... We're so like, like disassociated from what how chocolate is made and what chocolate tastes like. And so many people don't know that it actually comes from a fruit. So this is what we're doing. We're trying to like bring um, the process and the origin of chocolate closer to people so they understand and appreciate it a lot more. Um, I, I think there's not like a sexy way of saying educate, but it's like re-educating people to appreciate and eat chocolate in a in a different way. So bean to bar is is a movement that started in the 90s but it's also the way that you make the chocolate.
0: This reminds me of of this scandal that happened uh in New York with the Mast brothers that were like these hipster guys with with a chocolate store and at some point they they found out that uh, they were just melting Valrhona chocolate mm-hmm. and reshaping it and, and selling it. Uh, is that something that, that that is common in the chocolate world, like fraud or using wrong labels for, for the cacao type?
1: So I think the Mass Brothers scandal, like everybody knows about it, but also weirdly, like their design was amazing. And it was such a big scandal and they were so like popular that it, it actually in a way Kind of helped to attract people to bean to bar. So I mean, so sadly there was a scandal behind it, but it did also have a good purpose. I think. Um, I think what chocolate does is there's a lot of deceiving, deceiving marketing. So if you do an experiment, if you do, if you buy a bean to bar chocolate bar, and then you go to the supermarket and you buy a chocolate bar that you find there, uh, compare the labels. So what the big industry does is they copy the terms that the bean to bar movement is using. Um, So it is definitely deceiving. And like the best tips is the less ingredients, the better chocolate should just be cocoa beans and sugar or cocoa beans, sugar, and cocoa butter. If it's a dark chocolate. Um, So less ingredients, the better. And the more information you get from the bar, also a lot better. Like, you know, in wine, you always want to know where the uh, grapes are grown, where the the wine, the um, winery, the bodega is, who makes it, the terroir, the year, like the notes. Um, and people are really proud of sharing this information. But really that doesn't happen with chocolate because everybody thinks that if it's a dark, not everybody knows that if it's a dark chocolate that's made with cocoa beans from the Philippines, it's going to taste different than if you have a chocolate that's, Made with cocoa beans from Mexico or Venezuela or you know, Costa Rica, but it should be a given. So what happens is, so first we drink the chocolate, then they add sugar in Spain, then they do the first chocolate bar, then they add the milk, uh, the milk powder, and then they do the first mass-produced chocolate bar. This is Hershey's. They take it to the to the US, um, and weirdly they forget to pasteurize the milk. So the chocolate bars taste a little bit like off, a little bit like vomit. And so they <laughs> changed the recipe and people are like, no, 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 bring back the original recipe. And so they bring it back. And if you look at uh, some of uh, Hershey's bar, sometimes they have the letters PGPR, which is this like added flavoring that tastes like off milk. Um, but Having a ma- so chocolate before was for royalty, for the aristocracy, for people who could afford paying uh, chocolate. And you have to think that cocoa beans used to be uh, considered; they were used as um, currency, so they were very important. And then with the mass-produced ones, the only way they can they found a way to make it affordable was to reduce the price um, and add more sugar. So chocolates that you buy in the supermarket are mass-produced chocolates, where the traceability of where they get their cocoa beans from is completely dodgy. The number one ingredient is always sugar, and it's very hard to work with uh, cocoa beans without adding anything else to it. You have to be patient. Like the emulsifying it with uh, soy lecithin, sunflower lecithin, uh, palm oil just makes it cheaper and easier to work with and more fluid. Right, so that all the usually most of the chocolate bars in the supermarket will have these ingredients. Whereas a bean to bar chocolate is like a good wine where they're trying to show off where they buy their cocoa beans from, where they roast them, and the flavor profiles. So what you want to do when you're making a bean to bar chocolate is basically like enhance the flavor of the raw ingredient and not mess it up. Like when you're in a kitchen and you have really good ingredients. Your goal is not to mess up the really good ingredients.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think simplicity is key in in many culinary processes. I don't know if I, I have told you this before. I have told this to many people, but Lurka is the best chocolate I, I've ever tried. <gasps>
1: <Are laughs> yeah, I really,
0: I really think so. I I had like been to bar chocolates before, uh, but I mean the bean to bar world is like uh, That's I would so say. <laughs> like the the natural wine world you know that you get many different flavors and many different types yeah um but this one's uh, especially i'm a fan of the i would say 70 percent is my sweet spot Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we can also talk about that about about percentages Mm -hmm. Uh, i i think when it goes above that 80 85 perhaps it's too too bitter for me at least in the the ones i've tried i I know there, Mm -hmm. there are no like strict rules about this uh yeah but but i i was really uh, i really enjoyed it because this was like uh like good chocolate but better
1: (laughs) you know oh that's amazing well it's definitely i think you can sometimes i don't know my father makes fun of me he's just like oh why do you you know, force us to do all these steps before we eat the chocolate. I don't want to stare at it and look at the color and let it melt. I'm like, but you're going to miss out on all the amazing complexities and the flavors. And I think once you learn how to properly eat and savor chocolate, there's no way of going back. Like, chocolate is the one ingredient in the world that has to go up to the temperature of your body for you to be able to taste it. So if you open a chocolate bar and you just gobble it and chew, Which is what we're used to doing, you miss out on like all the magic, right? Whereas, again, if you think of wine, you don't just glug a whole bottle of wine. Like, you take your time and savor it. That's what you want to do with the chocolate as well.
0: You just uh, let it melt in your mouth, right? That's Mm -hmm. the the best way to taste it
1: yeah so you so you look at it you see if it's shiny if it's glossy it has that white powder on it it's that the sugar bloom or the butter bloom which usually happens when there's a drastic change in temperature nothing's going to happen to you it's just it loses aroma properties um and then what you want to do is you want to if it's especially if it's a dark chocolate you want to break it close to your ear and you want to hear it for that sharp snap let me see if I have a sharp snap so we can hear and this is a this is a sign of um of tempering right when the when the crystals are forming something we can hear a snap yeah I guess the- <laughs> <laughs> that's a good snap and then also you want you want to smell it. We want to feel the aromas and just like when you're like with everything that you eat, your body is like priming itself to whatever you're going to taste. So you just bite a bit of it and just let it melt on your mouth. You can chew a bit, but you want to cover your whole tongue and then just like give yourself 30 seconds to enjoy the chocolate basically. And then once it's uh, melted and it's disappeared, you also want to concentrate on how long the flavor lingers in your mouth, which is amazing if you compare a bean-to-bar chocolate with a supermarket chocolate. Like a supermarket chocolate will usually just like disappear really quickly, or be super, super, super sweet.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to tell you. I think I, I actually already told you this that after trying your chocolate, you completely ruined my experience of, of eating cheap chocolates because I feel like the palm oil and the, <laughs> all the trash that that is in it now, now I can actually taste it after yeah. having
1: a good one yeah that greasy layer on the top of your mouth
0: Ugh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> can we talk uh, also about the do's and don'ts storage in chocolate I oh, know yeah. a, lot, a lot of people put chocolate
1: on the fridge I think people like the crunch Okay, I think that's why people put it in the fridge. Never that, put your chocolate in the fridge. That's
0: the first thing I also learned while, while working with chocolate. Um, I worked in a chocolate store from Maria Fernanda de Jacobe mm-hmm. when she was starting in, in Venezuela. Her chocolate store called Cacao uh, to learn how to work with chocolate, how to temper chocolate, how to make uh, bonbons, uh, how to make the, the ganache. Uh, it was pretty nice. I remember the the most iconic she had was was a passion fruit bonbon, and also there, there was one that was really nice. With in Venezuela, but also in in other regions of the Amazonas, there is a a hot sauce ma- made out of ants, and mm. in Venezuela it's, it's called catara, and, okay. and we had a bonbon filled with with a catara ganache. That that was my favorite for wow. sure. Yeah, that was really nice. Uh, And well, also to mention, Maria Fernanda has played a key role in the development of of Venezuelan cacao. Due to the whole crisis, many of the the largest chocolate companies had to leave. So all the the farmers and producers from the land that that are are from there learned how to make chocolate. Well, she boosted a, a movement to teach especially women how to make uh, chocolate and and small chocolate companies, and of course, since these people were the farmers by generations, they knew the eighty five percent of cacaos uh, and the difference between all of them so if you if you give this if you empower these people to make their own chocolate, for sure they're going to be better than, than anyone else because they know yeah. the, the product so well
1: mm-hmm. Wow. I think there's there's definitely amazing things happening with with chocolate. I I think I heard there's also um, a brand in Nicaragua that did that that showed a lot of um, homeowners like uh, housewives to make their own chocolate and they started their own business. So yeah i think there's lots of
0: can you make chocolate at home is it advisable or is it just a waste of energy putting a blender for eight days to to grind your chocolate
1: by all means do it i feel like if you make chocolate it makes you appreciate good chocolate even more like if you see how hard it is to make it the first times we made chocolate at home not good (laughs) because also we were like we tried it with the nibs but also if you already buy the nibs then like someone's already done the the roasting someone's already done the the taking the husk away like you have less control over it like fermentation is the most important i think what is also happening um maybe i'm mixing different ideas but i think one is the bean to bar movement One is the fact that before usually chocolate was known, like very popular in places like Belgium and Switzerland, and they didn't even know that they didn't have cocoa beans there. And now the cocoa producing countries are also having their own brands that are making really, really good chocolate. There's also amazing bean to bar brands in Mexico, in Venezuela, in lots of countries
0: you know and ecuador also became a major player I, I remember venezuela was like one of the top players before the whole crisis and now yes. it got a little bit displaced
1: but it has like one of the most uh, amazing reputations of amazing cacao in venezuela for sure hmm. i think mexicans uh, always think that we always think that um chocolate was invented there and cocoa beans only grew there but i think they've actually um, had new discoveries where it's actually closer to central america and further down south
0: the information i have it's uh, it's south of uh, maracaibo lake in venezuela yeah yeah it's where, where they they found the the oldest cacao beans like archaeologically
1: what i do think that's amazing is that it's managed to spread all over like you literally are the equator surround like you're surrounded by beans everywhere it's the like the fruit that connects us all in they get delicious and it sounds very corny but <laughs> 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 so a storage of chocolate we were saying so do not put it in the fridge because you don't want to have the drastic change in temperature if you do have a wine fridge that's actually like the ideal temperature um otherwise you want to store it in a dark cool place uh no lights and the thing about the fridge as well is that chocolate absorbs everything so if you have like a sliced onion it'll absorb the oh, the onion the <laughs> key if, if you live in a very hot place and the only place you can actually leave it is in the fridge then i would suggest having an airtight um tupperware otherwise it absorbs everything or if you want to do experiments which we which we did with uh for example white chocolate and we put it in a Ziploc bag with lavender then it'll absorb the lavender uh, or truffle or
0: ah yeah nice i i knew that uh, about eggs uh yeah if you have a a really high quality truffle you you just store it together with eggs and the eggs will taste like truffle it will mm-hmm. absorb the flavor mm
1: mm-hmm, mm mm-hmm. it's the same thing it absorbs everything
0: yeah fat fat absorbs flavor that's mm-hmm. that's something that, that happens
1: mm-hmm. but lesson like if there's one thing you can take away from this conversation is to not put your chocolate in the fridge
0: <laughs> so yeah. and, and then there's a, another common misconception people think that if you melt chocolate Uh, and then you put it in the fridge actually it will get hard again and then you can uh, make shapes or any any kind of put it in a mold and then take it out and that's not how it works at all uh i mean like you have to temper it uh there is like a specific temperature curve so the, the chocolate crystallizes and, and then mm-hmm. you can work mm-hmm. with it to make uh, whatever uh, chocolate bars or sculptors or whatever you want. You told me once that there is a, a difference in tempering techniques between bean to bar and an industrial chocolate.
1: So I think the thing about um, industrial chocolate is that they just add more different kinds of fats so it makes it easier to work with it's more liquid if you are gonna do if you do hand tempering you have to control the temperature and if you do bean to bar uh, chocolate it's thicker Uh, so if you are gonna do it if you are gonna hand temper it then you have to be like you have to master the technique uh obviously if you have like if you're going to make it bigger quantities and you have a, a machine that will control the temperature and there's like a swivelly thing that goes up and down and it controls the temperature. It has two different ones to make sure that it's shiny and you're able to put it in the mold, but you can't just have any old chocolate, put it in the uh, microwave. It won't be shiny. Like you have to do it. Control the temperatures basically. But the reason why it's harder is because we don't, you don't have any extra added fat. That's why people add soy lecithin and sunflower and palm oil.
0: hmm Yeah, it, it also makes it cheaper to produce. Ah, uh, 100%. Also, uh, something that companies are looking for all the time.
1: hmm Which is, uh, uh, we were talking about what, what makes... Like, I'm, I'm sorry I ruined your, your experience of eating chocolate, but... <laughs> You, it really is like when someone opens the door, or when you like, it's like you open your eyes to the your taste buds. You open your taste buds. There's no way that you can not taste the fats, the burnt cocoa beans, the extra sugar, and the dull and disgusting flavors you get from supermarket chocolate in general, as opposed to bean to bar and craft chocolates, which are like so fruity. It's like you just open this door to so many different flavors you didn't know that chocolate could have because the big industry is trying to hide that, right? That's like the main difference. If you you are paying more for your cocoa beans, this means that uh, the people who are fermenting it and drying it are taking a lot more care of it. This is why you're paying them more. Whereas if you are exploiting people, exploiting the land and paying them nothing obviously no one's going to take care of the fermentation and the drying like it should be so if you compare like what's that one is massive quantities and when they get the beans out of the bags they literally just burn the whole thing so that it's a homogenous flavor with i would would say a shitload of sugar a whole lot of sugar you know you (laughs) guys
0: you can say a shitload of sugar (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's what makes uh, it cheap. That's what makes it disgusting. But also, sugar is so addictive, right?
0: You mentioned that chocolates can have la- like fruity profiles, and wa- one of the chocolates uh, I like the most from Lurca was uh, Soconusco What's the Soconusco. name of Soconusco. The- Soconusco. It's uh, the name of the cacao variety, right? It's uh,
1: it's the also the, it's the region. It's uh, the south of Chiapas
0: yeah and it has this raisin profile and and this is something probably that the the industry doesn't feel it's the proper chocolate flavor, so they yeah. discard it uh but that's what exactly what what it makes it so interesting i think
1: and also like the the way that we're so used to describing chocolate, you're just like it's bitter, maybe you say creamy and it's sweet, whereas dark chocolate doesn't have to be bitter which kind of ties into what you were mentioning before about the percentages. Percentages mean nothing in terms of bitterness in general like the soconusco, it definitely it tastes like raisins like dried fruits like hazelnuts and I also think in general Mexico has kind of those uh, notes but then you have you know, cacao's from Tanzania and the Philippines, and they'll have like mango, passion fruit, flowers, like so many amazing uh, flavor notes, which you get from the terroir, the fermentation, and the drying. And then the recipe that the chocolate maker will give it. So, what you want to do with the bar chocolates is do a super light roast. You just want to roast it enough so that it releases the flavor, whereas the big industry would just, you know, roast it until it's burnt. But yeah, so when you... I remember when we had that chocolate, you were like, this is like raisin. I'm like, yes, it is like raisin. That's exactly (laughs) what it tastes like.
0: (laughs) Are you still doing virtual tastings? You were doing that during the quarantine, right?
1: Yeah. So um, during the... Yeah, during the pandemic. So before I was... You know, I have my food tour project. Um, and then we started making chocolate at home. And Pablo was like, I really want to have a chocolate factory. I really want to have a chocolate shop. So we did this course to become certified chocolate tasters. If anyone wants to have a look at it, it's called the International Institute of Chocolate and Cocoa and Cacao Tasting. Um, and you can.
0: That sounds like a fun certificate to get,
1: <laughs> it's a really fun certificate. It's got. It's three levels. Um, they teach it in London, Florence, and uh, they're also doing it in Spain now. Uh, and it was amazing, amazing. Uh,
0: but you tried. had to travel uh, abroad to get the, the certificate.
1: Yeah. yeah, we went. We we did the course in London. We did the the first two levels, but to have to do the third one. Um, and that was like definitely a, a clear. Uh, it marked the before and after moment in the way that we taste everything and anything like we just became obsessed we have these, we started buying chocolate from all over started making our own chocolate um and then paula was gonna wor- go and work in norway uh, with some amazing uh, chocolate makers called fjok and uh, he said okay i'm gonna go for three months I'm gonna he, he's really good at doing bonbons so he said okay i'll, I'll help them do a line of bonbons they're gonna teach me how to use the machinery because no one tells you that if you're a chocolate maker you're more of a mechanic than the um you know a
0: someone a pastry in the kitchen. Chef. exactly
1: yeah. uh so when the pandemic hit he couldn't leave and since our whole world kind of revolved around food and now chocolate i thought okay How can I make, how can we mix what we're doing now with the tourism that we used to, that I used to work in? So we designed these, um, chocolate and wine tours to the Basque country. So like travel to the Basque country through chocolate and wine. That's what we did. So we would ship boxes of chocolate and wine to people and connect on, on zoom and people were really drunk at the end and really happy and eating amazing chocolate <laughs> but we would also send them the chocolate that we were making so we would like our experiments we were like getting like a real feedback from people and uh, chocolate that no one else in the world was you know going to be able to to taste so that was fun uh, we did that and then we actually did manage to go to Norway so we were there for a year and a half with these amazing women. Um, And uh, yeah, that's where he learned to be a mechanic and I learned how to taste more chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) And then then we came back and we had like the whole concept of the name and uh, we did these, a collection of 10 bars and we sent them to um, the International Chocolate Awards, which is also a thing. And we won nine prizes the first year. Uh, which was amazing, and then and then we just opened the shop two and a two and a half months ago, and it's basically chocolate bars, drinking chocolate with uh, like not like the Spanish version, which is really thick, but more like the Latin American version, which is lighter, and you can actually have it with water and milk, and we have the swivel stick, the molinillo, Yo, so you can do your own foam, and then. Bonbons and cakes and brownies and
0: cookies and. Are there like channels to buy Lurka internationally, or do you have to go to the store if you want a chocolate bar?
1: So now, please come to the store. <laughs> <laughs> come to the Basque country. <laughs> come to the Basque country. But we're also we're going to open a an online shop uh, next year for sure, and hopefully we'll be able to to work with some of the. Uh, like to bar distributors in in europe uh, so stay tuned <laughs> follow our instagram uh, but yeah we'll we'll be doing it and i don't do many virtual chocolate tastings that much anymore maybe like once a month um but we're doing them in person as well in the shop so we're able to show people like all of the steps how you do it how to taste it um and then how to pair it with wine or a good drink. mezcal or what, good mezcal, exactly. That's
0: what I did. That, 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 <laughs> was, that was something new, getting drunk on mezcal and chocolate.
1: <laughs> I really do think chocolate can give you this elated, drunken feeling as well.
0: <laughs> so that was our chocolate episode. Thank you very much, Christina.
1: No problem. My pleasure. For any chocolate questions, you know, just drop me a message. <laughs> <laughs>